Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you promise that your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So your outline is on page 11 of the bulletin, and the gospel reading, which we will refer to, on page 10 of the bulletin. And our, our gospel lesson for this morning records two important events. Number one, the purification of Mary. And take a look at verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. And then if you skip down to verse 24, this is the sacrifice for Mary's purification. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, notice the plural pronoun in verse 22 for their purification. This is the purification of Mary that we're talking about. But notice the pronoun's plural. Now, why is that? You see, it was from the law of Moses recorded that a woman after giving birth, and this is 40 days after the birth of Jesus now, for 40 days, she is considered impure for temple worship, unclean for temple worship. Any bodily discharges render you unclean for temple worship. That's just the law. That was the Old Testament law. And so, for her purification, this sacrifice will be offered after 40 days. She enters the temple, but in a sense, being embedded in the family, the whole family is a unit. And if you have one person in the family who's unclean, ritually unclean, and you come in contact with that person, you, at least for a short time, become unclean as well. And so to purify Mary for temple worship really has an effect upon the entire family, don't you see? And I think that's the reason why Luke uses the plural pronoun. Even though this is specifically for Mary, Yet, Mary's a part of the family, and the whole family's affected by it, or can be affected by it. The second thing that's going on in the lesson is the presentation of our Lord Jesus. And you see this in verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, why is that? You think back to the book of Exodus. Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go until the tenth and final plague, which was the destruction of all the firstborn of Egypt. The firstborn males, children, and then the firstborn of the livestock. The angel of death passed over Egypt, killing, destroying all the firstborn of the Egyptians. The Israelites were spared because they took, each household took a perfect lamb, slaughtered it, and they sprinkled the blood over the doorpost of their homes. When the angel of death saw that blood of the lamb, now this is pointing ahead to our Lord and Savior, the angel passed over the homes of the Israelites and struck only the Egyptian households. As a result of that now, as a result, God said to the Israelites, all of your firstborn belong to me, okay? 
the firstborn of the livestock that opened the womb, you sacrificed to me as a remembrance of what I did for you and giving you your freedom, your, your status as a nation, a free people. And the firstborn males of your households belong to me too. You sacrificed them to me. Now, not really, because they would be redeemed. The Israelite household would pay a fee at the temple, and the male children would be bought back from God, okay, as a way of remembering what God had done for them in Egypt. And so that is what is going on here. They are here to present the firstborn, Jesus, to the Lord. But it's interesting, there's no mention of a redemption payment here. Now, we're not sure, but that may be a subtle way of implying that he will be sacrificed to the Lord. And this is kind of foreshadowed in our first reading for today from 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah's son, Samuel, is devoted to the Lord all of his life, to serve the Lord. And you and I are to be living sacrifices to God as a result of Christ's sacrifice, God's sacrifice of his son for you and for me. We're to be living sacrifices. But we can't be living sacrifices until payment for sin is made and guilt is removed. Then we have a relationship with God that is restored. There is one who must die, and he dies in your place and mine. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's presented to the Lord, and he's wholly given over. There is no redemption payment here for him. So that's what's going on. Now, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, whenever the Holy Spirit is, is upon someone, it's a sure bet they're going to break out in speech or in song. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit moves you to testify, to speak about what the Lord has done. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. God has spoken to him now. This is important. We'll come back to it. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This whole idea of seeing or not seeing is critical in Luke's gospel. We'll come back to that idea. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, to present him to the Lord as the firstborn, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen, notice this, seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And notice this, verse 33, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They're wondering about this. So Roman numeral one in your outline, what does God's salvation look like? What does it look like? I'll tell you what God's salvation looks like. It looks like a 40-day-old baby. A baby. Now, I will grant 
to the naked eye, a baby does not look like God's power to save. To the unaided eye, a baby does not look like God's power, God's strength, but he is. He is. St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. St. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, quoting the Lord, my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God's ways are not our ways. That's why to understand him, we have to listen to what he's saying. What he's saying informs us as to how he works. So salvation looks like a baby. Letter B, Scripture says your eyes are either closed or open, meaning that your mind, your mind is either closed or open to the crucified and risen Jesus. Your eyes, your mind is either closed or opened to God's power at work in the weakness, in the death and suffering of Jesus. And sight here in Luke's gospel equals understanding. It denotes understanding. It's interesting. I cite Luke chapter 4. This is where Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he's reading from the school of Isaiah. And we read that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Their eyes were fastened on him. And what did they do next after he read? They tried to throw him over a cliff. See, they were seeing him with the unaided eye, with the naked eye, but they did not have understanding of what they were hearing and what they were seeing. In Luke 10, Jesus says, he's full of joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to babes, to little ones. Then he turned to his disciples, and he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, and the ears that hear what you hear. Notice how sight, true sight, is enabled by hearing. Jesus said in John 9, For judgment I came into this world so that the blind will see and so that the seeing will become blind. See, we're talking about more than just physical sight. We're talking about seeing with understanding. Roman numeral 2. We see with our ears. We see with our ears. You know, I say this because, um, not that I'm a physicist, but I do read. And what appears to you and me to be solid objects are really mostly empty space. I mean, this pulpit is mostly empty space according to what physicists tell us. And I have no reason to doubt them. It doesn't contradict the word at all. 
99.9% of this pulpit is empty space. You see, it's composed of atoms like everything else is. And the space between the atoms, the individual atoms, is far, far greater than the space the atoms themselves take up. So what appear to be solid objects to you and me are mostly empty space. But you don't see that until a higher authority informs you of it. Same is true with time, I suppose. We think of time as something that is solid and fixed and unchanging. And yet, according to physics, it's elastic. It's elastic. It expands and contracts. You know, again, I wouldn't go there on my own, but when a higher authority tells me that, I take it seriously. Letter A. So we see with our ears. Letter A, Simeon sees what others do not, including perhaps Mary and Joseph. I cite Mark chapter 3, where Jesus' family comes to take him away because they say he's out of his mind. I mean, they don't get it. Like almost every other disciple, and I would say every other disciple, they don't really understand Jesus until after his work is complete of dying and rising for us all. Then they begin to understand. Then they begin to put it all together. But that has to occur first. And before that occurs, there's only wonderment, confusion. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Yes, they've heard the angels speak, but it's still a lot to take in. Simeon sees what others do not. And that brings us to letter B. All of us need vision correction. We need vision correction from God's Word. We have to see beyond sight, beyond what our eyes tell us. Number one, our condition. We're so sinful, according to Scripture, that we don't even comprehend the depth of our sinfulness. We're so darkened that unless the Word informs us of how bad we really are, we don't get it. We just don't get it. We think we're pretty good because we compare ourselves to our neighbor, and of course we, we think the worst of our neighbor, we think the best of ourselves, and this is how it works. And, and, and that's false. It's not true. St. Paul writes in Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's the testimony of Scripture about you and me. We need vision correction regarding our condition, number one, regarding our baptism. Number two, When an uninformed individual sees a baptism, there's some water, there's some words that are spoken, a nice ritual, period. 
That's what the world thinks of baptism. That's what the eyes, by themselves, unaided, see. But God's Word gives us a depth of understanding that goes beyond mere sight. Titus 3.5, He saved us, meaning Jesus, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's baptism. St. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's baptism. It is Jesus cleansing you. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is rebirth and much more. But the eye, by itself, will never perceive that. It must be informed by the ear, by the hearing of God's word. Number three, our nourishment our nourishment. Thinking here of the Lord's Supper, Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body. He didn't say it represents. He could have said that, but he didn't. He could have spoken parabolically, like uh, this bread is like my body, but he didn't say that. He said it is. And our understanding of his words is confirmed by the later scriptures, what St. Paul wrote regarding the Lord's Supper, he said, whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against not just bread and wine, but the body and blood of the Lord. That's what this bread is. It's the body of the Lord. That's what the cup is. It's the blood of Jesus. That is the Holy Communion. When we talk about communion, we're talking about a coming together of a heavenly reality, the body of the Lord, and the earthly reality, the bread. The same is true of the cup. It's the coming together of the blood of Jesus and the wine. That's the communion, you see. And that's effected by the Word of God. Now, the eyes will never discern that. We must go beyond mere vision and see what the Word tells us. number four, we need vision correction regarding our own death. Jesus said of the little girl that had died, she's not dead but sleeping. He said in John 11, our friend Lazarus is sleeping. Because to him, that's all death is. He can wake him up with a word, you see. It's just sleep of the body, not of the soul, but of the body that it is. Moses writes in Genesis 25 regarding the, the death of Abraham that he breathed his last in a good old age and he was gathered to his people. You see, this is the way Scripture speaks of the death of a believer in very positive terms. Euphemistically, a, a good word about death. The death of a believer, you see. Now the eye would never discern that. We have to see with our ears. St. Paul wrote in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, for those of us who mourn the death of our, of our loved ones, it's not a gain for us, it's a loss, a very real loss. But for those who die in the Lord, it is gain. St. Paul writes, 
I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's how Scripture describes your death and mine. It's better by far. A pagan view of death looks with pity upon the dead. Pagan death is less than, than this life. It's a shadowy existence in the underworld. And you wish you were alive again. That's a pagan view of death. And I think sometimes as believers in Christ, we look with pity upon those who have gone before us and died in the Lord. We should never look with pity upon them. I believe they're in heaven looking down with pity on us. And that's the testimony of Scripture. We continue in this veil of tears for a while yet. But we look forward to the day when we will see the Lord. And, and you know what? I think that's why, by the way, I think that's why Simeon was eager to die. You see, we, we assume he's an old man. The text doesn't say he's old. We assume he's old. Why? Well, he's eager to die, you know. Uh, his best days are in his rearview mirror, right? He has nothing to look forward to, therefore he wants to die. His health is declining, therefore he wants to die. That's how we justify death. But not at all. It doesn't say that. You know why he's eager to die? Because he's already gotten a taste of heaven. He has seen the Lord. He's held him in his arms. That's a foretaste of what is to come. And he wants more of it, you see. He wants more of it, and I don't blame him. And you and I should want it as well. Now in God's economy, he would have us remain here for a while yet for the sake of those around us. I get it. I get it. We should never forget the different view of death, the positive view of death of a believer that the Holy Scripture gives us. And all of us individually should look forward to that day. It is a promotion, as we've said here many times. So all of us need vision correction. And my, my friends, by the grace of God, you and I see beyond what others out there who do not believe cannot see. We see beyond sight, just like Simeon. He looked at a baby and he saw the Lord's salvation. Why? Because he was seeing with the ear. He was seeing what the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. And therefore, when we see an individual being baptized, we see more than water. We see rebirth. We see the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. And we partake of the Holy Supper. We see more than bread and wine. We see beyond sight. We see with the ear. This is the very body and blood of Jesus given and shed for you. The same body and blood given and shed on the cross 2,000 years ago is somehow in this meal by the power of his word. We take it on the basis of a higher authority. That's faith. That's faith. God grant you that vision, that sight beyond the unaided eye. That is understanding. And thank God for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.